Hello and welcome to this quite special edition of the Bullet Points podcast uh, on Metal Gear Solid, a game uh, about which we have written uh, an entire mm. book uh, that will be... I'm, 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 I'm front-loading the show with the plug. I was going to wait to the end of the show no, to don't. the plug. But, uh, no, no, no. No, I'm, I think we ought to stop at kind of every 10 minutes to plug the book. Um, I think that when we make points about Metal Gear Solid, we should do it in uh, a sort of acrostic form, which if you listen to it back, the first words of every one of our sentences, so it's like, buy mm-hmm. the book. Um, I think we should just try and interweave this podcast with advertisements for the book as much as possible. Uh, the book is going to be called OK Hero, and it's a series of essays by Astrid Reed and myself on all of the mainline Metal Gear Solid games from one to five, and also including Peace Walker. Reed, that's your favorite, no. isn't it? No. No. Uh, but w- uh, what we're discussing today uh, is the first Metal Gear Solid game. We're going we're gonna to release a series of podcasts looking at each one of them. Uh, and obviously, yeah, we're beginning with 1998. Yep. I sometimes think it's seven. 1998's Metal Gear Solid. Now, uh, I doubt that anyone listening to this needs a kind of background into the Metal Gear Solid world. Everyone kind of knows the characters, I'm sure, and understands that there were two Metal Gear games on the MSX, a console which I've got no comprehension of. I can't remember who made it, when it was around, how popular or unpopular it was. I've never it seen was the, one. It was the first Xbox, An Microsoft MSX? Xbox. <laughs> That's what it was. Astrid, if you, you're old. quite... As far as I know, you you look at like games that are old. Oh, what the <laughs> fuck am I talking about? But you know, you 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 sometimes text with like images of machines yeah. and re- uh, retro games. Have you ever played an MSX? I haven't, but it was actually a Microsoft. Was it really? Yeah, you weren't. I mean, you may have been joking, but it is actually that. Wow. It looks like a typewriter. Yeah, I've s- right. Or just a keyboard. It's really weird. Uh, until you just said that, I thought the initial Metal Gear games were for, like, Nintendo. <laughs> so, I just learned that. Oh, there was a release yeah. for the NES, but I guess it was originally the MSX yeah. 2. And then, uh... Right, okay. And then the one we're going to talk about today was originally, I think, supposed to be a 3DO game. A Panasonic 3DO video game. Really ahead of the curve with these uh, picks. The, the Panasonic 3DO. I, I played one of those <laughs> once in a hotel room. They had it. You could Did you, really? you could rent to use it for like probably something way too expensive, uh, and yeah. I I convinced my parents to let me use it. And uh, what did you play on it? I don't know. I was a child. It was all a blur of <laughs> candy canes and trauma. Well, one thing you didn't play on it was was Metal Gear Solid, because that came out on the original PlayStation in 1998, uh, written and directed by Hideo Kojima, whose name is obviously going to come up a lot both throughout this episode, throughout the book, and uh, throughout the other episodes that we do in this series. Uh, You play Solid Snake, a retired secret agent brought out of retirement to infiltrate a base in the Alaskan wilderness, which is being held under siege by a group of terrorists who are former American special forces and are saying that if they don't get the remains of Big Boss, the man from whom Solid Snake is cloned, they will release a nuclear weapon. Mondays. Uh, I think that was quite that was a good a summary. I just did that, off the, I just did that off the cuff. And considering what goes on in that game, I think that was fairly succinct. Uh, yeah, that was. I think that was a very good summary. I think it was 
Okay, great. It was uh, fast and to the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Snake, Snake, Snake does not know he's a clone at the beginning, though. Snake doesn't Which know he's a clone. Fairly crucial, yeah. Yeah, that's true. He, uh, he actually doesn't know very much about. No, he's a bit of adult. He, yeah, he's he's an idiot. He's a rat <laughs> punk. <laughs> uh, he just walks around like, he's thick. Um, but as the game goes on, he he learns more and more about his own past and also the shadowy. Uh, forces mm. above him who are manipulating events unseen. So, let's get into our opinions, reactions, etc. I want to go first to Astrid because Astrid, uh, before we started writing this book, Reed and I had played Metal Gear Solid already. You were the only one who was coming to this game for the first time. And yeah. I'm really, really interested to know. Well, one, how much, what, how much did you know about it before playing it? Because obviously it's 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 so popular that it feels like one of those things you can't help but know kind of by osmosis even before you go into it. And then also, yeah, what did you think of it when you were playing? So I had my experience with this one specifically was I played like a little bit when I was a teenager on the PC. Um, I didn't like it because it was like uh, slow. Or it wasn't what I was expecting, I think. I just wanted to sort of, like, blaze through it. Like, sort of like a Doom or Dark Forces or something and just shoot everything. But uh, I don't remember getting very far. All I remember from that time was, like, the first room. Like, the dock area with all the crates. And I just remember playing that again and again and dying. Because uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, since then, I had played... I played a lot of five... But that doesn't really give you any kind of indication of what the rest of them are like. It's very... I don't know, it's interesting because I've played more of them now, obviously, since we started this project. So I think Metal Gear Solid 2 is the one where, like, the the animations and the movesets and stuff sort of get, like, fleshed out. And it feels more like the later games. This game is very, like, rigid. Just the way Snake moves and the way the guards react, and it's really easy to sort of like game all that stuff and mm. like the behaviors that you're working around um, on the part of the AI are like really you can rely on them like not being realistic in a weird way. Like <laughs> there's sort of sight lines or cones of vision and stuff you can really. exploit that stuff Um, and I'm sure you can do a lot better than I can because I'm not very good at the game but it's clear just from like especially when you can use the first person view like you get close enough to a guard you think they'd be able to see you but you sort of just see them standing there like looking in your direction but they don't react Mm -hmm. but the point being that um, I think the ways that the game allows you to mess with it and also the ways that it messes with you in a way that was like super, I don't want to say ahead of its time because that implies like a, like some sort of like unified progression of like video game design that like marched on no matter what. But I think it's like an early example of like a 3D game that is interested in uh, explicitly messing with your perception as a player. Mm. That's, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And that's become... Uh, I, I agree with you about not wanting to kind of characterise video games as all being on a sort of rail and everyone sort of striving towards <laughs> sort of like 
eudaimonic goal of you know absolute perfect video game Marie. but I think that that messing with players perceptions has become a recurring theme in modern games and something which is often talked about and regarded and discussed uh, yes. Spec Ops The Line Bioshock uh, yeah uh, quick my shot. Haze uh, <laughs> <laughs> classic Haze uh, uh, System Shock obviously System Shock Silent Hill 2 yeah. Um, and so on and so on. And I, I think that, yeah, Metal Gear Solid is, is certainly a kind of pioneer or progenitor of that. Yeah, I mean, the I was surprised because everyone notes uh, System Shock 2 as, like, the predecessor to Bioshock, but the, the um, I guess the twist in Metal Gear Solid or the reveal is identical to yeah. what happens in Bioshock. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. Including the bit where the character, <clears throat> the villain, basically, like, implies that you as a player are just doing what you're told. Except for in this game, it's also you as a soldier, which I think is a more interesting thematic thing than just, like, a sort of abstract of, like, well, what does playing games mean type of thing. Well, I think it becomes, it becomes, you know, I want to go into the... Uh, weeds too soon here. I think it becomes not just about you as a player, not just about you as a soldier, but also about you and also the character as sort of a 21st century person, you know, how susceptible are we to information and control yes. and whatever in the, in the sort of era of mass communication and mass media, which is something that the second game gets into a hell of a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's, the Mac- what's the Macarthur <laughs> take on Metal Gear Solid? Oh god! Yeah, I didn't like that a, at all. That's such an awful. That I hate yeah. saying that. That's like something that you'd hear on on other gaming podcasts where they refer to each other by each other's surnames, which is I can't stand it when grown people do that. Reed, what did you think? Of Will Smith. Um, I think <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to have. So this is something that I keep thinking. I keep suspecting every time I go back to play this game again that. It's not going to be. It's going to be sort of more embarrassing, or less. I don't know, less worthy of respect, or or <laughs> worthy of attention. Maybe uh, when I go back to play it, and I played it again um, earlier in the year before I, I wrote uh, a chapter on it, um, and that must have been, my God, I don't know. I've played this game so many times. Um, and so I think every time I play it, I'm sort of expecting it to be clumsier in ways that aren't just, you know, controls and, you know, some, some of the dialogue is pretty tenured. But this game is, it's one of these games where as kind of like outwardly stupid as a lot of it is, and it is, right? Like it's, it's goofy as hell. There's, you know, a telepathic, telekinetic guy floating around wearing a gas mask and like leather bodysuit and there's like a giant like just like a giant Alaskan native who is like I don't know just fucking dialogues at you for a long time and like a crow flies out of his head and he's you know like it's it's a stupid game but it's also I think every time I play it um there's more to it that I kind of like find in it every time um not necessarily that it's it's full of you know this super complex 
narrative or something. It's just that there are kind of layers to what it's doing uh, that I think are worth kind of like digging into over and over. Um, is there a is there a specific um, movie that you might compare it to? Um, influential black and white movie from 1941 by Orson Welles. <laughs> Circa uh, 1941. <laughs> uh, <laughs> by or- uh, directed by and starring uh, Orson Welles, preferably. No, I, I can't. I have no idea what you're talking about. I. I, I was giggling okay. then, Reeve, when you were talking, because you, you were describing Psycho Mantis, you know, who is this tele- like said, telepathic telekinetic, and he floats around in a gas mask. And I was giggling, because I, I remember playing the game with a friend, and they were playing. And when Psycho Mantis appeared on screen for the first time, my friend just blurted out, Oh, look at this <laughs> fucking Marilyn Manson idiot! <laughs> <laughs> which, which really made me laugh. Do you um, ever think about things, though, in this game, what? too? Like, okay, so, because I think we all have a favorable impression in this game, but I think it's important too to remember certain shit that especially like if you're like me and you've played this game like a bazillion times starting when you were, you know, young and impressionable and had maybe a greater bullshit filter or bullshit tolerance, I guess, not a filter. But like there's stuff like you fight Liquid Snake in in a Hindi uh, gunship and he yells stuff through the intercom so presumably he's sitting in this thing pushing an intercom to yell eat this at you when he launches fucking missiles you know and like yeah. like mm-hmm. it's just like everything about this game is so just so fucking dumb do you think so i i think it's really every well, sort of section of the game to me seems really sort of revised and and mm-hmm. thought about and when I say designed, I don't mean designed in the kind of video game mechanics way. I mean in that kind of like set design, costume design, sound design, you know, production design way. Everything yeah. about it feels to me really sort of quite cerebral and, and sort of visionary and, and not brainless. I don't think there's many parts of this game that feel brainless. There are parts that feel like they belong to a brain that is somewhat difficult to approve of, you know, like sexually and politically but none of it feels sort of dumb to me um, or if it, if it is dumb it, it's, it's not so, it's not so much dumb as kind of entertaining in a very specific and and deliberate way um, it's it's like yeah. bold and, and striking and unusual and strange and eclectic and uh, yeah I, I never feel like I'm in the presence of something that's idiotic I do at times I'm not saying that it's it's not enormously entertaining because I think Metal Gear even when it's um well whatever this is for a later thing but until until the last yeah don't uh don't put your cards on the table with that I was going to say like in, until the last few entries kind of especially when it comes to women yeah. uh even at its most sort of ridiculous it's it's still I think really entertaining I just think that it there's like a, a sort of like a kind of like a palette you have to develop for Metal Gear where it's it's saying okay take this really seriously. Um, we're talking to you about things that are very. It, it's like being at a funeral and then like a fucking clown comes up and and reads a bit of a eulogy and you're supposed to just keep like keep just like you're having a great time but it's like it's ridiculous. That that's what I mean. I'm not saying. Uh, I don't know. So. That's interesting because I want to 
sort of probe this because when you say that you like need this to, the game is like sort of an acquired taste in a way except also it's like really popular <laughs> pretty much been ex yeah been accepted as like in just a canonical thing to the point where no one really talks about the game itself it's just like a totem it's like a name that like is in a list of other names that everyone says are good and that you should play um but especially at this point um the number of people who have like actively played the original metal gear solid is maybe like <clears throat> everyone who's like a i don't know editor at ign or like over 30 like the assumed status of it i think is a really weird thing and this happens yeah. obviously with like everything but this game especially because it is so forthrightly like bizarre and um it wrong foots you like tonally and in what it appears to be about and stuff well i think it's like part of it is it's especially at the time of its release it was like this nexus of of different things i think you could play this game and it it could be doing things that are worth actually kind of like sitting and thinking about if you're if you're willing to take it at face value and and appreciate it more fully and everything i think it also at the time um had these gimmicks that you would tell your friends about where the screen flashes hideo instead of video and you have to change a controller port and look on the back of the cd case and all of these things and also i think at the time graphically too it was like you know, if you're holding the controller when Donald Anderson dies, it, it it rumbles in time to it, and it's like a movie, you know, and it's all voice acted. So I think it kind of, like, hit all these different things where maybe if this was a game that came out at a different time or something, or video games were kind of like a um, more robust medium, and especially, I don't know, I don't know if I want to commit to saying this, but... It's like, think of other games that are, like, classics. And it's, like, especially, right. like, Ocarina of Time. Like, that game's, I don't know, like, I... Yeah, it's all, like, the sort of, like... I think in the other cases of these, like, sort of entrenched classics of, like, video games or whatever, they're definitely, like, shit you played as a kid and that you still talk about because it's, like, nostalgic. But, like, if you actually go sit down and like try and make it through some of this stuff it's like really difficult in a way that like if you say like your favorite movie is like i don't know some like a silent movie or something there's not really the same i don't know it's not like a, it's gonna like <laughs> look wrong to you or like feel wrong because the other movies are like so much more advanced or something mm -hmm. There's, like, a way in which video games, like, eat their own progress. But I don't think... See, one thing I'd say, though, is that if if I knew someone's taste... Like, when you said you had never played this game all the way through, and I thought, well, I mm. bet you would really like it. It doesn't matter that it's, you know, sort of, like, archaic in a lot of ways. Just that if... Right. <sighs> yeah, I don't mean to... I think it's, like, two separate discussions a little bit because it has this status but then the thing itself i think is also really interesting obviously i when i play it I, it still feels to me really fresh yeah. it still yeah. it still feels to me yeah, kind, of, should, kind of doing yeah. things and toying with things and um 
of a sort of degree of I don't know, creativity or like intellect that is still mm-hmm. rare in the video game world and also you know sort of credible alongside like a good book or a good film or something and I think that one of the things you were talking about Reed, the kind of clown at a funeral dynamic is one of the things that I find most appealing about it um, I, I, I don't just think that it's a, a, a an effective and, and kind of interesting like colourful combination of the ultra serious because you know you've got you've got scenes in this game where two characters will discuss you know global politics or kind of the ethics of war for like five minutes and then you've got you know the stuff that you were describing immediately alongside it or or sometimes at the very same mm-hmm. time and to me and not all of the Metal Gear Solid games are, are, I would say this for but this one it it all kind of complements and it, it actually it seems quite effortless and this and this um, yeah like combination of, of the, the strange and the slapstick and the uh, inexplicable with the the sort of mundane and the discursive and the um, the, the real actually feels quite sort of cogent and and like it all works um, and I think that's that's one of the reasons that the appeal of the game is broad because I remember playing this when it came out when I was eight years old and enjoying you know the stuff that you'd expect like an eight-year-old boy to enjoy in this game and then nowadays I'm, I'm sort of still kind of compelled by it because I enjoy not just that stuff but also you know the, the sort of weightier uh, kind of mindful stuff that's going on in there I was going to say, like, really quickly, I wonder, too, <coughs> I shouldn't have stuck on that point so much, because I wonder, too, sometimes if I'm too almost, like, critically self-conscious about silliness in things, because you think about... No, 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 but I think that's a good impulse, because I think there are too many video games especially that use silliness as a kind of substitute for any and all substance. And they just they sort of say that we're we're just silly. That's all this game is meant to be. It's just meant to be silly and big and stupid. So don't worry about anything else. And that's a kind of like get out of doing something really well free card. And I think it's right to pull games up on on going like silly as opposed to. Well, the thing is, like I would say about you know in in defense of of the silliness aside from what you already said too, is that the 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 kind of goofy and kind of stupid stuff and Metal Gear serves it thematically uh, I think in almost every case as well especially and then you see that I think it's maybe at its height in like uh, Sons of Liberty the second one Um, and it does maybe that is better than a game that's just not self aware and so becomes silly because it's inept you know like the silliness in this is is purposeful and I maybe just I don't know like Murakami is a popular author um, who I also when I first started reading him thought and I didn't you know have a wider knowledge of, of what people thought of these books um, thought well there's probably like a niche community that likes this kind of thing and then you get older and you start realizing things and you start meeting more people who read more widely and and you realize no no this kind of thing has a broader audience when it's done properly or done well anyway that's kind of a tangent no i was actually gonna 
when you talk about like the the sort of tonal whiplash or like whatever you want to call it the sort of like because the game has its like own its own rhythms and like its own style of dialogue that's like very specific um and that, so that allows it to sort of discuss the really heavy like geopolitical um historical stuff at the same time that's like making like sort of corny or like um clunky jokes and stuff and it's sort of like so in my piece on the book I wrote about it as um gothic fiction and I think like a tangent which I didn't discuss in the piece was there's like an element of like the grotesque <coughs> to Metal Gear Solid and not in the sense that it's like gross or whatever um, which it may or may not be at times but just that it's like the absurd and like the mix of uh, violence and like comedy or tragedy and comedy and there's like a satirical element and it's just very exaggerated mm -hmm. and um uh, like the shape of it if you were to like sort of like chart each scene on like a graph of like well what tone is this scene you know achieving or um what are they discussing here it would be like a really sort of like all over the place thing but the fact that it does sort of have these elements um the absurd especially I think a lot of the like surrealists and that era of writing and thinking um, allows for the kind of like formal stuff that Metal Gear does, where it's like messing with you in a way that lets you know that the the other things are like part of it. Like it's not just clunky translation, or it's not just bad writing. It's like all sort of part of a larger attitude that the game has. It's I don't know. yeah, and I think I would situate it somewhere too in. And I think this is part of why it works. And, you know, again, referencing someone like, uh, you know, Japanese author Haruki Murakami, who was also quite popular at the time that this game was made, in, in Japan at least. Um, it's, like, it's like the earnestness of, of the absurdity and, and just yeah. the idea that sometimes the best way to represent an idea is through something that is not real something that couldn't exist um, to just say if I'm trying to show you I, uh, for an example like the depths of of horror of uh, growing up in the former Soviet Union in a terribly depressed little village and uh, I don't know living with the trauma of the aftermath of, of World War II and and uh, Blah, blah blah I'm getting off course but like you know I'm talking about like this the psycho mantis thing where it's like well why not have a guy who wears a fucking gas mask on his head and has lobotomy scars because he can hear and feel everything so much that it's like driving him to the brink of sanity you know like like why not yeah. why not if you if that's how you want to express that idea then then go for it right the same thing with like the ninja being like a Frankenstein monster and all of these kind yeah. of things. No, I agree with that. And that was part of the... Like, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, or, like, Phantom of the Opera or something. Like, the, those characters and their, like, specific physical deformities are, like, 
things that also speak to a larger idea, obviously. Well, and that's something, too, and maybe the last thing I'll say about this, but that's something, too, that you'll see and, and kind of shows that it's not accidental, right? That it comes up again and again and again in these games, like um, like physical deformity or or things like amputation or uh, you know loss of sort of like physical faculty and augmentation of it and everything just comes up over and over. Like there's that uh, that piece from some website uh, that I can't remember that David Shimura wrote about. Um, like amputations and and so forth like the way that they are used to convey different ideas throughout these games that I think he wrote around the time that like the phantom pain came out which yeah, is like the most explicit right. about it but anyway I my experience about Gear Solid this is, this is kind of starting a new topic my experience about Gear Solid uh, then and now is I think of a, a game that doesn't have much by way of sort of low points. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't feel like there's a, there's a section necessarily that I would describe as having sort of nothing going for it. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations that are a little long, and there's um, I'm trying to think of you know like a part of the game the, the sort of backtracking when you have to call and heat the key. Yeah. At the end, is, is and get the sniper rifle, well, and get the sniper rifle. Bits like that, but generally, this is maybe one of the reasons that it feels fresh. Because obviously today, most of the games that I end up playing are you know open world behemoths that naturally involve a lot of busy work. Um, one of the things I recently did was I re-downloaded Fallout Four, and modded it so that I had all of the sort of raw materials you need to upgrade your weapons and stuff just in my inventory so I didn't have to go scrounging around the game, stopping after every gunfight to pick up items and sort of, you know um, magpie around and it made it a lot better and I think that one of the reasons I like Gear Solid is although it has got that sort of verbose and over explanatory style, it's also quite lean places and it's sort of packaging a lot of ideas and a lot of sort of philosophy and a lot of politics and a lot of history and a lot of action and a lot of sort of visual spectacle in quite a short space of time mm-hmm. I think it's, it, it's a dense game and the stuff that Astrid was just talking about and the stuff that she's written about about the kind of the horror elements of Metal Gear Solid, that's something that I I didn't really come to me until I you know had, had read her pieces or hadn't really come to me until many years after playing the game for the first time. The sort of post-modern elements that I think I wrote about for the book are something that I came upon later on. Um, the the stuff about you know history really that you you write about is something that didn't really make sense and didn't seem like fleshed out until I played it quite a few times. And it's just, even now, again, it, in, in the year of our law, 2018, it's unusual to play a game that has, I think, just multiple interpretations and has, and has multiple um, sort of modes of thinking embedded into it. Um, well, Dev. Even the sort of, even the sort of bright games yeah. 
a kind of a kind of like didactics, and and there's there's one thing that's trying to be said. Um, I feel like, yeah, especially for like a blockbuster game, right? It's it's a blockbuster or mainstream or you know like a very expensively made game. It's it's not. Um, it's weird because it does show off to you how much it knows in certain points. You know, like when it comes to like weapons, it'll say. You know, I, I think one of the funniest quirks about Metal Gear, especially in the first one, is when they'll say, uh, you know, the colonel in the introduction will say, like, uh, weapons and equipment or SOP. And then in brackets, it's... Or not not SOP, it's... Uh, what is it? Uh, OSP? OSP. Yeah. On-site on, on procurement. It's the, yeah, it's the thing where yeah. it's like, they use the acronyms and then they show you, like, yeah, that's what the acronym means. Like, we know. You know, and you pick up a gun and call... Nastasha and she's like wants to talk to you for like two or three minutes about like I don't know why a certain gun is good at shooting in certain situations or like like all of this kind of shit like it wants to show off a that, I, I've got to cut in and just say that the best example of this that you've not mentioned is Muff yes material unaccounted for when, when yeah when Kenneth Baker says there are several pounds of Muff <laughs> every year and snake says muff and he says it stands for materials unaccounted for i remember an older family member playing this game and laughing a lot at that and i i was i was too young to understand same with david and hal um oh that's kind of funny whatever but the thing is like it yeah this is something that i think even the bad metal gear games do is they they assume that you are a member of the human race that you know things about the world Mm -hmm. that they can say something about um you know this happened on the manhattan project this happened um uh this happened during the gulf war and that if you that you can be counted upon to know that what it means when you know, Sniper Wolf is dying and she says, I was a Kurd or I am a Kurd, you know, and blah, 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 this happened. And, you know, I was young when I first played these and I didn't know what these things were. And it like, uh, it sounds such like a game advocate thing, but it like made me want to learn these things. It made me want to catch up to what the game knew. And the game wasn't self-consciously fumbling around saying, uh, you know, open up a codex. Here is the Gulf War. Here or who the Kurds yeah. are. Here is the Manhattan Project. Here is, you know, all of this different shit. It just assumes that you you know about the world that you live in and that the game is capable of talking about it casually to you. Yeah. Or the other part of that is that it doesn't... <clears throat> it assumes that you will find that out, I guess. Like, if you don't know that, um, it's perfectly fine with telling you the story and like letting those details maybe get by mm-hmm. you or making you look up like specific things in history that you might not know because they're like sort of you know underreported or whatever but it's also yeah it's like either you know it or you don't and then it's just gonna keep going and just sort of accrete and like accumulate all these details that help it yeah like situate it in like this like military world because there is a little bit of like that Tom Clancy style, like gear fetish. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> like everything has like real or not like convincing like gun names and like armaments and like uh snakes little trinkets and stuff and like the um rank of people is sort of important at certain yeah. points like where they are in the government or the military um so it knows all that stuff but i think you would be hard pressed to say that this game is like i don't know sort of blase about well, it well i think it's sorry. no i was i was just gonna say like really briefly and like that's i feel like this is gonna keep happening but that's something i like i wrote about for this is like yeah i almost said that's like the title of your piece, whatever you might as well just keep plugging it but like that's part of what i find <laughs> appealing is that it's like something that taps into i think a lot of the kind of like military fetishism that that is to some extent i don't know i don't want to presume too much but at least i know is something that i'm very interested in and i don't know why because i i find like i don't want to own guns i find sometimes facts about guns really interesting um and it's like the game is yeah like it has the clancy thing but unlike clancy it's also like horrified by war so the the way that i might think about it is that it, it like Ashley was just saying it talks a lot about kind of rank and who's more important than who and who has such and such power and who has such and such power and it makes me this this just now like, i've never thought of this before um so this is going to be quite kind of ill out and clumsily deployed and i apologize but it makes me think of the way that i don't know like venetian society or the turkish army is talked about in like a shakespeare where it doesn't matter exactly what a duke or or a or a um, viscount you know, like valet or a viscount, yeah, or, or, you know, the governor does exactly... All that's important is this abstract sense that he has power over someone or that his status is important to him or, or that he can make someone do something and that if you killed him, it would destabilise something. You know, it, 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 the, the ranks and the sort of powers and the weapons are kind of mentioned as a way of, I think, abstractly communicating, you know... Uh, who needs to die, who, who's got power, who hasn't got power, uh, and so on. And it becomes this kind of, yeah, this, this um, exchange of blood in, in Metal Gear Solid, you know, someone killing someone to, like, supplant someone else. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it is. I, I, I don't know if either of you have called it this, um, so I'm not, like, disagreeing with anybody. I don't think it's fetishistic of, of the military because I think I it's did. also uh, okay well I think it's also it's it's quite critical of the whole sort of institution of, of war. right that's the thing I think it has that sort of like morbid sort of a fascination with the stuff and like it obviously if they aren't like 100% accurate and like all of the jargon and stuff it's it like plays the part it's like convincing in the moment but I think that is all sort of calculated because I think one of the, this is like a whole other topic and this is something I briefly mentioned in my piece, but I think one of the larger projects of the game is to like destabilize the idea of like the the action hero, like super broad. Oh yeah. Um, which I think if you, if you look at it that way, it accounts for a lot of the sort of the, the menial shit that the game makes you do, like that you have to go fetch this thing 
and that you are the person who has to do everything, which includes, like, <laughs> finding key cards and, like, uh, you know, dropping it in the sewer and getting the rat <laughs> who ate it, and, like, all these things that just sort of, like, go on and on, um, and then there's also this stuff during the boss fights that sort of, like, calls into question Snake's relationships with these characters and also his sexuality and just pretty much everything that is assumed about him from his name and like looking at him gets undermined I, I, I want to go back to that but I think it, it is also yeah it's worth making the point that there are moments in this game of, of slapstick comedy like when you're chasing the rat around because it's eating the key that's going to stop the nuclear bomb or you know like a soldier getting beaten up and sort of piled naked stars uh, on the floor. like Looney Tunes yeah, stars. stars around his yeah. head exactly um and yeah, there is that kind of implicit and tongue-in-cheek lampooning, I think, of the sort of seriousness of all of the characters, which comes to a wonderful crescendo uh, towards the end of the game when our favourite character is introduced. <laughs> and the he's like... This is Secretary of Defence Jim Houseman, <laughs> who is revealed... Sort of tacitly, it's not tacitly. Who <laughs> is revealed is meant to be the one kind of masterminding everything, and he's this arch, kind of cartoon villain, um, who's even got this kind of voice, and he's been arrested for high treason. And uh, just, I, I, you see, I, he's maybe not an example of the sort of deliberate slaps it because I actually think the game expects you to take him quite seriously and expects you to take the sort of revelation that he's the one behind it quite seriously and be sort of shocked by it but he is such a sort of vampiric hammer horror Christopher yeah, Lee yeah. character. he even kind of looks like Christopher Lee he even kind of looks like Christopher Lee uh, spliced with you know Peter Cushing and Boris Garland get them all in there well just it's that gothic Arch mad scientist thing, and it it, it yeah. makes the whole game into into just that little bit more of a comedy, I think. Um, but this thing about sexuality, because these this game, and I think the latter Metal Gear Solids, even more so. But this game has a, a sexual appetite. You know, you've got scenes where snake is sort of topless and tied up and you've got sniper wolf who walks out with yeah. you know like bare cleavage and you've got these close-ups of meryl's arse and you've got psycho mantis who's wearing uh, like bondage gear and yeah. the ninja who is a uh, masochist and and so on and so on and so on and you know like liquid and solid snake as their names and they're kind of fighting stripped to the waist yeah. at the end and, and so on and so on and i I, I, my, my article about Metal Gear Solid 3 goes into this, about kind of the, the writer and director of Metal Gear Solid's apparent sexual, um, I don't know what I'd call it, uh, appetite, taste. Mm -hmm. But Astrid, you were playing this for the first time, and it, it took me quite a few times before it sort of struck me how kind of occasionally like homoerotic the game could be, or how occasionally... Um, sort of soft pornographic the game could be but you, you got it on first playthrough and I'm wondering what it was about it that was most striking I I think I'm like extra attuned to like innuendos and stuff because uh, at the beginning of the game I was like well they can't 
you know, these must just be like coincidences, like these lines and stuff. Um, but I think it was the boss fight with, um, what's his name? Revolver also. Oh yeah. Where I was like, there's something going on here because what he says in that battle is like, I actually, I downloaded the script for both games for my piece to like look through it. And what he says is there's nothing like the feeling of slamming a long silver bullet into a well-greased chamber. Yeah, that's... And I was, he's just talking about his gun. <laughs> yeah, he likes reloading his gun. And he's, like, stroking the gun at the beginning of the fight, and it's just, like... Obviously, like, guns as, like, phallic extensions or whatever has been done and, like, discussed a lot, but I think this game, like, really sees that through. Um, and there's also the repeated, like, insistence, like, beyond the point of just, like, you know, making a note of it or whatever that, like... The part, or the thing about Meryl, if there is anything, because I'm, I'm still not convinced there is, if you watch the, the ending scene with Meryl, it's like really unconvincing what he's saying there. He sounds like he'd rather be anywhere else. But the thing that he's attracted to her about her is her butt, mm. like specifically her ass. Um, not, you know, conspicuously her tits, which they like model her nipples, like you can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like too. these super low res textures, but her nipples are there. So they like sort of cue you towards snake maybe being or maybe but like there's like a lot of like homoerotic stuff going on which i think like uh broadly is part of that you know action hero stereotype thing well he loves gray fox and yeah um yeah there's just there's a lot of shots if you watch the briefings before you start playing the game, if you go in the main menu, there's these little like briefing cutscenes you can watch, and they're all—it's all Snake without any clothes on. Yeah, know, sat in this kind of—it's like the original like by. Shinkawa artwork, just kind of like static. Yeah, static. Oh, is that the? That's like the thing where they quote unquote like bring him out of retirement. Yeah, and he's got. So he's been like captured yeah. essentially. He's got—he's been captured, and the colonel's briefing him, and he's sat there without any clothes on, and. Yeah, there is, um, there's like a burgeoning sexuality yeah. throughout the entire game. This sort of, and sometimes, it, yeah, it kind of like bursts to the surface. It's always... Um, yeah, all the boss fights, all the boss fights have like one thing yeah. that is like very the conspicuously vul- alluding to... He calls Vulcan moment. Raven a big boy. Must have been a tight yeah. fit for a big boy. Yeah. Yeah, the time. Yeah. It's um uh and it's kind of like uh, sort of like wide ranging um in- encompassing like all sorts of like different sexual activity and it's it's just sort of yeah. like a blanket. I think what's kind of interesting is that in in the first game uh you still get a sense that they're trying or or Kojima writing that script uh, with others or directing it is, is sort of trying to tone it down as much as he's capable of or they're capable of you know like um, the first like sort of most obvious stuff is like very much in the mold of like classic Bond uh, and, and not you know the kind of stuff that Ed talks about <laughs> uh, that becomes apparent when you watch Bond again as an adult in the same theme uh, where it's like Fleming's uh, love of S&M coming out but like just sort of like repartee between like the the like ladies man spy 
which Snake viewed in the context of the whole series very much isn't you know but he he kind of tries to be at the beginning no. when he's hitting on yeah they his banter with Meryl so unconvincing like, he he's attempting to like play that role and yeah it's just I think at one point he um at the end he's like uh he says he like loves looking at her or something <laughs> it's like really he's yeah pretty limp limp snake um but it's I think it's the sexuality of these games is the most interesting and I think probably the first two when it's it's something that feels like they're trying to they're trying to push it down and it's coming up in more interesting ways and then as the series goes on it becomes more sort of like uh, bold and like honestly like pretty like retrograde um, and yeah, I've seen some stuff from the later games that seems, yeah, like, way more explicit and also, like, just not as interesting. I think when you bring that stuff up, if you're not, if you don't know what you're doing or if it's not actually about that, it just ends up feeling sort of... Like, well, and some of it, too, feels like plays for just sort of, like, market uh, interest, you know? Like, it feels like it's not it's not this, this mm-hmm. thing that's kind of coming from these characters or from their creators. It feels like it's saying people right. will like this if if there's fucking like quiet i think is the the big example but pause from peace walker is yeah. is the stuff they do with that character is really repulsive um and it seems like it's very much being like here this is what you want you know this is what we're going to show you All right. um yeah, the quiet stuff is really baffling i mean we'll get there one day but like you won't find me uh mounting any defenses I don't think you can. Quiet's a a, a ruined <laughs> character, punished, 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 punished female <laughs> yeah. character. That's yeah. pretty like far afield, though. Um, yeah, yeah. There's so much stuff to talk about with this game, isn't there? Well, we've got a whole book on. I it. know, but like one of the things I was thinking about, like I kind of want to go back for at least half a second to the way that this the story works and um like like the sort of like explicit plot of the story and how it i think it's kind of notable that it it does those kind of like bioshock spec ops kind of like subversion of the medium things but it does it without being uh kind of holier than thou uh and and does it in Mm. service of much more i think interesting ideas than the really straightforward ways that it's it's done in in later stuff but the one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on see what both of you thought about was, and Ed may have a bit more to say on this, having played everything at the point that we're recording this, but this game, I think, what's always appealed to me a lot about it is how, in comparison to the rest of the series, it's very straightforward, which kind of feels silly because it does get kind of convoluted at the end and you know, you get this like liquid snake monologuing about genetics and and the S three plan and all, you know, super baby method and all this shit. Um, but at its heart, it's it's kind of a basic story of these terrorists are have taken a base hostage. Um, they have these demands, or else they're going to launch a nuke. Uh, this is their advanced technology. You have to defeat it and destroy it and overcome your your clone brother in the process. 
but they kind of they pack so much into this that other games you know like infamously like Metal Gear 4 spends probably a good 12 hours of cutscenes just talking about and I, I don't know I was just wondering if if it's me like looking at this in hindsight being like this is a pretty straightforward game that its complexity is more aesthetic and more understated uh that's interesting i i think your comparison to metal gear solid 4 which to my mind is the nadir of the whole series is the one that shines the original in the best light because metal gear solid 4 is this it feels like it's endless and rambling and wittering essay by written by someone who can't write essays very well and like it's it's Metal Gear Solid 4 doesn't feel like, the, the first one feels like it's got lots of ideas that it can't wait to yeah, share yeah. Metal Gear Solid 4 feels kind of embarrassed by everything it said and he's trying to sort of rein it all back in and excuse itself and almost not exactly apologise because it, it, it's still <laughs> quite content to be like sexist and racist and, and just nasty but it, it's trying to, to kind of normalise and like strip the magic out of everything that it's done so far and it does it with just endless chatter and written word and it's I think it's such a dull game visually whereas this one like you were saying Reed I think yeah aesthetically which is a word I love but mock myself when I say it because I don't sound like I'm you know <laughs> academic um, I think it, it, yeah aesthetically it is it is complex and, and, and it, it is streamlined compared to the others and it uh, is energetic in a way that especially four and five are not. Like four and five feel um, kind of bored of Metal Gear Solid themselves, whereas this one's like so excited just to share with you this this vision, um, which is a weird way of describing it because it's not like the game itself is conscious. But you know what I mean? It's like everyone feels kind of really like pumped and and. Um, the, it feels like the product of this factory where every idea has been acceptable. I remember watching actually in this this making of Metal Gear Solid 2 and <clears throat> something that they'd done was to give notebooks to everybody who's working on the game and if they if they they'd write down an idea and uh, a lot of them were accepted into the final game. And I know I'm not trying to sort of say isn't isn't working for the game industry so cool and nice because everyone gets to like contribute their ideas and yeah Gabe Newell a cool guy um, not like that I'm just saying that, it, that this feels like the, the product of uh, a sort of mindset where um, ideas were acceptable mm -hmm. and the latter games don't feel like that the latter games feel like uh, we're, we're, yeah we're, we're trying to explain well, they start getting ideas. crushed by yeah. themselves too they do like beholden the, the to themselves Exactly. Beholden to the kind of expectations of the series, beholden to the law, which never, ever ceases. This kind of auroric <laughs> law that just continues in the cycle. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't remember exactly what your original question was, Reed. But basically, <laughs> basically, I think this game feels both. Com it's like complex and interesting and full, but never sort of leaden uh, and, no. and talky. Yeah, I think the. Um like it moves and there's like this sort of like handful of things that you can do like as a player the things that you can do to the world and like to enemies 
they give you like just enough to like um, be able to experiment a little bit but it never feels um, like you have too many things like you're not using something um, because you just have a surplus of gadgets or weapons um, and so I think that drives you forward a little more because you're not like in Metal Gear Solid 5 yeah. there's like it's just sort of an endless maze of divergence and stuff it's almost the opposite of this game narratively um, because this one has such like a strong forward drive and there is I get builds and it sort of keeps its cards close to its chest until this sort of like twist moment near the end um, and then there is that monologue by Liquid Snake but it really in the scheme of things like like visually and narratively it's just him standing there talking like what he's saying is sort of convoluted and stuff but the way in which it's presented is very yeah. straightforward it is literally just I guess not a monologue because Snake's there more of a soliloquy but um, that part yeah yeah that's something that always strikes me going back to it too because especially when I was when I was younger and I'm kind of like self-conscious of nostalgia in this because I'm not nostalgic for a lot of games but I feel like this I come the closest to it with this one um so I try to be careful but like whenever I have played this game again it always surprises me it in my memory it's a lot longer than it is it's um like in my memory it's it's some equivalent of like what now would be a 40 to 60 hour game you know because it's like here's the section well it's like here's the section where you are doing this here's the section where you're doing that this is with this character this is but this game like you start playing it and every time it's kind of like surprised me like you get like two hours in and you've done a bunch of shit like you it's, it just kind of goes from thing to thing to thing and there's like all these boss fights mm-hmm. and each one is very different and even though you're in this same place and it's all kind of like this fantastic gloomy looking place like it it changes so much as you're going through it um it's all very like cohesive but you know you go into um like the beginning where it's this like these kind of like purplish nighttime snow field where you know it's like dark and there's those floodlights going through and then later you're in like this halogen lit um lab and it's like very clean and blue and it's just like it keeps moving from place to place to place and it feels fresh and just kind of exciting the entire time I think yeah they it's hard to it's hard to put into words without selling like some kind of advertorial from Metal Gear Solid but I I, I think that um, it benefits from that being content from that sort of single location mentality mm. um, in the same way that uh, I think the original Resident Evil game benefits where you've got you know the mansion but every room's got like a different puzzle and the soundtrack changes depending on like what floor you're on and they they get this so that you know because it's all in one space and taking place over a short period of time it feels quite cohesive and contained but within that kind of box they they manage to you know have a lot of different sort of compartments and a lot of different sort of areas to explore uh, and what you were saying read about you know the boss fights and and feeling like you've done something different and something different and something different resident evil 4 yeah is yeah, like yeah a model yeah. for that 
you know, Resident Evil 4 is a game where, you know, every kind of 20 minutes you move on to another set piece that feels like it's been poured over and, and, and sort of choreographed and, and sort of really built for purpose. And that's why that's you know, one of my favourite games. And same here. I, I, I think what I was saying earlier on and what you've, you've, you were saying is that there's, there's not many sort of dead zones um, visually, uh, like mechanically. Because, you know, the, what Astrid was saying right at the start of the episode, uh, that it feels quite stiff and it is possible to kind of game it. And that's really true. Like, Snake can only walk in kind of four directions and has this really awkward turn circle. And the shooting is, like, pathetic. And, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, stealth mechanics, it's not like the later games where you can do all this kind of, like, rolling and um, crawling and, and hanging off ledges and sort of dives and stuff. You know, you, you just back against the wall and you can knock on the wall and that's more or less it. Yeah, cardboard um, box. Hiding that. You got the it's a good one. Box. But, yeah, but... But nevertheless, it feels like they always seem to find something else to do. Like the, the, yeah. the mechanics never sort of dry up. So. Um, I think, yeah, there's like a, there's like a real like, I don't know, sort of like physicality to the stuff that they render in the way that the world is presented. There's like little details that help it feel like they sort of choose the most relevant detail. Like when you're outside, it's the snow. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're in the Vulcan Raven room, it's like the cold that you have to deal with. There's always like some like twist to it that helps each area feel distinct. And I think it, the stiffness is not necessarily like something I didn't like, but I think when you go to Metal Gear Solid 2, the sort of jump in like the fidelity of the controls and like the animation is like kind of stunning when you look at them side by side. But I think this game has a better, like, variety and, like, a more interesting set. Yeah, 2 has, I mean, we'll get to this when we get to it, um, 2, I really like the setting, but it's not as, it's like 2 I really like in a lot of ways, but it's not as sort of exciting, it's not as kind of immediately enjoyable, I think, whereas this one... Yeah, it, it's like what Ed was saying before, too, about, like, bursting with ideas. Like, it just feels like this one is ready to show you lots of things. Um, which is... <laughs> yeah, the weird Easter eggs and all that stuff. Yeah, well, I like that. Like, the idea that, like, you can kind of return to this, and there are uh, not just uh, narratively and thematically and everything, but there's, like, just little game design systems that, you know... I think you told me about one with, like the wolves peeing on the handkerchief or something oh the box yeah. oh yeah if yeah you go in the the one section where the wolves are in the area if you get one of them to pee on the box um then you can get through because you have their scent and also in that section when you find meryl and she's like hey where have you been if you like knock her down or something the wolves will attack oh yeah because they like her because she's like friends with them yeah, yeah and like this is you know, like, that that stuff is kind of just, like, neat little extras, but it does give you a sense. There's always been a bit of a sense to me, especially with the first game more than any of the others, but, but some of the other ones have a little bit of this, too, that the first game is, like, just this, like, weird little, like, uh, what are those boxes called where it's, like, it's just, like, a ballerina spinning around inside of it. You know, like, uh, yeah, like a music box. Like, it's just, it's, like, this little thing where this 
diorama is always playing out if you open it up it's just always happening and there are all these little things happening all over the place at different times that i don't know like it's it's not like a living world but it's like this strange like i don't know i don't know how to put it properly which is not ideal for a podcast diorama but like a moving one you know (laughs) it it's like when you when you go to paint something and you're painting in sort of like a impressionistic style there's like certain things that you pick out that will like help the viewer like help their eye recognize what they're looking at there's like certain relevant details to like a face or a tree or like whatever it is you're painting and i think that's sort of the idea here is like they they give it enough detail and like enough life to make it convincing and like compelling without like full photorealism which obviously wasn't possible at the time but even so i think the game is stylized mm. even considering like technical limitations or whatever it's uh still also while well, i continue to sing the praises of it um there's some stuff in this game that's not great but also like kind of cards on the table it's like between like this and i don't know maybe the first modern warfare for my favorite games so that's why i'm enthusiastic about it but um the way it looks and sounds too is something that i think you know i'm sure in 2006 or something like (laughs) the sites would be like it hasn't aged well but this game looks and sounds fucking fantastic like that's always i think so too like if a game was bad it was bad at the time yeah like, I, I think so too I think the way that uh, it's it's part of the identity of this game um, the kind of compression on like those like very obviously synthetic uh, choruses that play like it's like a bunch of like bass men's voices um, yeah and like the electronic drums yeah but like it's it's part of it in the way that you know they kind of jerk around like puppets when they're doing things um and and the way that their faces are kind of just like shadow with you know the 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 mm-hmm. shape like the contours of like a nose and eye sockets and stuff i don't know like all that stuff is just part of um well if you if you go look at like twin snakes which was like the contemporaneous like metal gear solid 2 remake of the first one it looks like shit. Yeah. Like, there's just nothing. I've never it's played that. Muddy. It's yeah, it's just muddy and the colors are off and it just doesn't look like the same thing. It's, like, cleaner, I guess. It's kind of besides the point to, like, do that. Like, there's a, there's a part in 4. Well, actually, I won't talk about this because maybe, maybe there would be a few people who would play these for the first time or something. Like, future games. No. no, I don't know. I was just going to say, there's a part in 4 where you go back to Shadow Moses, and I think it's uh, from, like, videos and screenshots I've seen of the Twin Snakes. It is far more evocative, even though I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, Metal Gear Solid 4. I think when, like, just the way that Shadow Moses looks, um, it's like, oh, yeah, these are the people who understand, <laughs> like, kind of the essence of this place isn't just shinier 
like more uh, higher poly count walls and stuff like yeah. it's but they they fuck the whole thing up do they because yeah because you arrive at Shadow Moses in Metal Gear Solid 4 and it gets this this really kind of atmospheric reveal and you're like oh wow <laughs> and then the first room that you go in which is the tank uh-huh. hangar and it's full of I don't know if you remember from Metal Gear Solid 4 those black ball things with not the right away is it? Yeah. Yeah, and the room's like full of them and you have to sort of fight this mass of them. And it's it looks really clumsy and stupid and you have to keep going into your menu to like buy new bullets off of Drebin. And then and, and then the monkey the monkey sound ye- happens yeah. and <sighs> and it looks it looks I'm just remembering good ridiculous. things from that. I like the way it's like kind of like foggy and dilapidated yeah, and, and there's like a big snowstorm outside that feels like very cold like it's uh yeah yeah i can't wait to get on smoke go to solid four because i want to talk a lot and i mean a lot about drebin i don't i want to i want to talk for hours about drebin and about <laughs> about the whole drebin system and the cutscene with Drebin the at Patriots the end. The Patriots, the Rat Patrol. The Patriots cutscene. Right, let's not get ahead of ourselves. With Drebin. Let's this is a, yeah. a journey. Okay, so that... It is a journey. And on that cliffhanger, I think we should uh, finish our discussion on the first Metal Gear Solid. But you're looking forward to it as much as I am, because we've talked about that, that Drebin moment. Picture of the Rat Patrol. <laughs> yeah. Astrid, I can't wait for you to to get there if there was a moment in this series that I think was built for your ire uh, it's this one that I'm talking it's, about it's like the equivalent of finding out that Ed this is a little bit of a, a crossover a bullet points cross promotion but uh, in Kingdom mm. Hearts there's a character named Roxas R-O-X-A-S yep. and yep. before that and after that there's a character named Sora and the big yep. reveal is that they're like shadow selves of each other which is not a great description yeah uh but there's been an x introduced into the name so that their names are the same because if you put an x in it and then like rearrange the letters sora yeah. becomes roxas <laughs> becomes roxas nice so uh yeah yeah it is it's on that level this bit in metal case holy four i think it's actually a little below that level um anyway it's on it's on that level <laughs> anyway, so if you if you want to know more about Metal Gear Solid, uh, our opinions on it, I think uh, our opinions on it in, in more depth, more detail, and probably articulated somewhat better than were possible uh, in a, in a one-hour, ten-minute-long podcast, then what should listeners do? Do you think they should buy the book? They should, but by the time this comes out, it will have just been announced, so they're going to have to wait slightly. I think my yeah. voice cracked a little bit there. Yeah, they should anticipate the book. Anticipate the book. Be hungry. And then when it comes out, it'll go, keep you kept you waiting, huh? Hello, kept you waiting, huh? Nice. Kept you waiting. So to reiterate, uh. <laughs> the, book is, uh, the book is a series of essays on the Metal Gear Solid games written by Astrid Reed and myself. Uh, it is now... Uh, officially announced and will be available in the near future at an as uh, yet undecided 
price. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be expensive, though, is it? It's not going to be like £50. It is. It's going to be um, £50. Let's see. Is it? And yeah. you can only pay for it in pounds as well. You can only pay for it in our brand new uh, Bitcoin <laughs> snake snake coin. Bullet points. Coin. Bullet pounds. <laughs> bullet <laughs> you know that's actually what GBP stands for. It's the great bullet points. <laughs> the great bullet pounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, and the rest of these shows will be released uh, sporadically in the run-up through the book's release. Yeah, I, I think that's the way to do it, right? <laughs> if we mm. just want to... Pl- mm. Should be discussing this off <laughs> no. air, I suppose. But yeah, this I think is a, a tradition as we make uh, future plans at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Figure yeah, out yeah, the yeah, fine yeah. details. Uh, no, I think that's I think that's how we'll do it. And, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, for my part at least, I want to try to, when we're discussing these things, I want to talk to both of you about things that uh, we didn't talk so much about in our articles, so we can kind of talk about things that are a little bit to the side of some of that stuff. Like, especially, like, mm-hmm. in, in this one, I feel like there's so much to say about Metal Gear Solid 1 that I didn't talk about when I wrote my piece that, I don't know. I think each game has a lot to talk about in it, which is part of why you can write a whole book about it. One thing I would like to mention, actually, as well, is uh, alongside the book... Um, we've also announced uh, our cover artist. Is that right? Uh, will that will that be part of the that, announcement? That, yes, I believe so. But let's. Should we keep that under wraps? <laughs> just keep just that under case? wraps, just just in case. Okay, because I I was just going to mention the cover artist on this show as a kind of plug for their work. Let's do it on the um, let's do it on the next one just to be safe. We'll do it on the next one. We'll do it on the next one because obviously, listeners, we're recording this just before we announce the book officially, and we're as yet undecided as to whether we're going to mention the illustration that we've got for the cover of the book. Um, so I was getting a little ahead of myself there, but I I can assure you that it's it's really good. <laughs> it's going to be really yeah, good. I like it. Astrid, okay. okay. What do you What do you think? It's It's gonna be good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. Another barnstorming ending for the Bullet Points podcast. Uh, okay, so uh, between now and then, you can go to bulletpointsmonthly.com and read our articles on various games we've recently done. Uh, Doom, we're going to be doing Yakuza the entire series more or less well, the, the beginning uh, of the series and the beginning of the series uh, we've got October coming up where we're going to be looking at horror games and we're going to be doing Red Dead Redemption 2 and, uh, and some then, other and then something. critical morsels and then something later on and you can also uh, go to bulletpointspodcast.com and listen to other episodes of this oh. podcast we've done Ooh, we've done we've done Metal Gear Survive, didn't we? we did yeah, we sure did. The r- when we talked about Metal Gear, so we did that yeah. first. So yeah. we didn't have to include it in the book, you know. That's right. <laughs> it's a standalone. Yeah, um, but you can also find the aforementioned podcast series there on uh, Kingdom Hearts, Ugh. which I know Reed, you're enjoying. Astrid, do you actually like the Kingdom Hearts games? Uh, I like. Um I think one of them. I'm more Fuck just. Me. I'm more just sort of like interested from afar, maybe. Yeah, that's the way to be. I think. Because I do think their popularity is kind of yeah. odd. 
when considering what they are. But then again, I think there are actually a lot of parallels to Metal Gear, but Ooh. we can save that for another time. Maybe. Another I, th I think I think the uh, Metal Gear saga is stronger than the. Now that I am becoming someone who. Yeah, I think like you know, in about six months' time, I will be able to say with some authority that I am uh, an expert in both Metal Gear and Kingdom Hearts, which is fucked. What a wow. life! What a waste! What a life! Yeah. yeah. Remember at the end of okay, Metal Gear well Solid that's... One when Naomi says, "Live, Snake, live." Yeah, I don't think she meant he didn't go off and play Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, I don't think that's yeah. what she was talking about. No. <laughs> Well, until next time, that's Metal Gear Solid, and uh, be sure to keep an eye on our Twitter feed at BulletPointsVG for more news on OK Hero, the book, and more episodes on the rest of the Metal Gear Solid series. Uh, until then, you can also... Uh, no, that's it, I've mentioned everything. Okay, well, we'll be back with more exciting video game critical discussion. Uh, same bullet place, same bullet time. <laughs>